All right, folks, go be great. Episode 14 brought to you by the good folks at Hardo Sports. Mike Contento bringing it to you here on Monday, October 10th. What a weekend it was with Wild Card Weekend wrapping up earlier this evening in New York. Unfortunately, the Mets fall to the Padres two games to one and tonight by a score of, I believe, six to nothing. Um, we got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about today other than just the Mets, but I want to start off by just saying something that I thought about and then I'll get into the rest of my layout for the episode. Um, something I thought about by seeing Michael K call a game on ESPN in St. Louis this weekend. First of all, I thought it was pretty cool for Michael K, obviously the Yankee uh, play-by-play guy on Yes, and ha- probably hasn't done a playoff game since he was on the radio for WFAN back in the 90s. So, I mean, awesome for him to go out there and get to call this weekend series, which the Phillies took by two games to nothing over the Cardinals, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I think one thing about the MLB this weekend is they definitely won. Uh, there was a lot of attention on baseball this weekend. I think the three-game format really worked out for them. That's all awesome. Uh, they got a gr- couple of great games mixed in here. Uh, if you want to you know, look at the 15-inning game, in game two in the Guardians and Rays series with the walk-off homer in that one. Uh, even the game before that in that series, 2-1, with Jose Ramirez, one of the game's best players, hitting a two-run homer in the eighth. Uh, that's good stuff for them. Um, the Phillies come back in the ninth inning in game one. Huge. The Mariners coming back in game two was awesome. So they had a couple of great games this weekend to just kind of show in their first year that it was worth it having these games. Um, I think also for the teams like the Mets who had a hundred wins and ended up being the wild card, it was fair to give those teams three games to, you know, go out there and try to decide the fate of their season, whether they'd go home or go to the next round. Um, And I just think all that is awesome. All that was to say though, Michael K calling those games makes me think with Amazon prime kind of being involved now in all of these sports, I think there should be a way that instead of having these national broadcast broadcasters call these games, we should probably have a way where on one station, whichever station it's going to be on TV that night, whether it be ESPN, Fox sports. Um, I think TBS is having a couple of these games over the next week. Um, one of those stations should have the home broadcast. So you get to hear, just say, if you're the Yankees, Michael Kay would be on the broadcast with David Cohn, Paul O'Neill, whoever they got Meredith on the sideline. All great. You know, if you're a Mets fan, you got Gary, Keith and Ron. Um, if they're the home team and then on the away team, maybe Amazon prime carries that game. I mean, you got to figure in these baseball playoffs. You know, with the teams that are left, there's five big cities. So you could really make this worthwhile. It could be a good business deal. I think all of these teams would love to have their home broadcasters. I mean, you talk about the Seattle guy. I'm not even sure what his name is, but he brings a lot of energy to the table on his broadcast. Um, I just think, though, with the size of each of these fan bases, I mean, you have New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Houston. 
So five decently sized cities and two of the biggest cities in the country in New York and Los Angeles still left in these playoffs. And then you have some smaller uh, markets, but these probably three of the more rabid fan bases in these, in this league, the guardians, the Mariners and the Padres. So I think all of these MLB teams would love to hear their guys calling the game uh, as the playoffs start. And I think the guys that are calling the games would love to be in the playoff atmosphere in their home ballparks as well. Um, So maybe just something that they should think about. Um, So I'm going to get into the rest of the episode now. First of all, I also want to shout, I want to uh, bring attention to the fact that I did make one mistake on the last episode. I thought that they were going to reseed the the seeds that were left after this round, but they did not. Um, It didn't end up mattering in the AL side for me because I got both right and both matchups were also going to be correct because I picked the Guardians to win. Now they'll play the Yankees starting on Tuesday. Game one, I believe, will be 730 uh, here in New York. So that should be a good series. You know, they have a good rotation and they showed it off. Not only just their rotation, the bullpen pitched nine innings of work in game two after Tristan McKenzie went six innings and gave up, I think, no runs on four uh, base runners, two hits and two walks. So they showed they have a good pitching staff overall in the wild card series with Tampa. Um, now they're coming in to the Bronx. We'll see how that kind of goes. So um, I'm going to recap each of the wild card series real quick. Uh, then I'm going to go into the Yankees just a little bit. I want to talk about what happened with Araldis Chapman over the weekend. Um, I'm going to predict the whole roster for the ALDS. And also I do have what I am projecting as the five game pitching matchups. Uh, and then quickly talking about the two of the best stories in the NFL, the New York football giants and the New York jets have a combined seven wins. We'll talk about them at the second half of the episode, probably the last really third of the episode. I'm guessing I'll talk about baseball for two thirds of this episode. Talk about the giants, the jets recap the picks, which are not good folks. I'm not going to, you know, bury the lead here. We're two, six and one in the NFL. We are three and three in college football, and I feel good about those picks this week. Um, I'm going to give out these picks now. I think it's probably not my, the best idea. I think I'd, it would probably benefit me to wait longer to see how things move and maybe some injuries. Who knows what really happens? Um, but I have my college games prepared. I'm not going to prepare my I didn't prepare the NFL ones. I'm just going to kind of do it on the fly, I think. Honestly, with a two, six, and one record, you got to spice up the way you prepare for this stuff. And I think just I'm going to let the board speak to me at the end of this episode and we'll see what happens. So, the first wild card series I'm going to talk about is unfortunately for my Mets supporters, the New York Mets versus San Diego Padres. Uh, the Mets lose in three games. First game, it was Mad Max versus you Darvish. And unfortunately, what happened in the regular season against you Darvish for the Mets lineup happened once again. You Darvish absolutely shut down this lineup. 
And uh, at the same time, Max Scherzer gave up four home runs. I think one to Josh Bell. And honestly, not something that I necessarily factored in to this part of the series, though, was the fact that Josh Bell and Juan Soto are former Nationals. And both players really have seen these pitchers up close pretty uh, well as well as being former teammates with Max back in 2019 and earlier. Um, So both of these guys have played with this player and played against this player a decent amount. Never really fact and this team in general, never really factored that in until I saw uh, in game three, which was later uh, earlier today, excuse me, where they show that Josh Bell had like a 19 game hitting streak against the Mets. I thought that was pretty crazy. And like I said, not something I factored into it, but I mean, both of those players really did put up a lot of offense and it really wasn't just them either. Uh, one through nine in the Padres lineup produced, they put up um, seven runs in game one. They put up six runs in game three and that was all they needed. They rode two good starting performances from you Darvish and Joe Musgrove Um And also, Joe Musgrove got investigated for sticky stuff before his ears looking very weird on camera um, in the sixth inning by Buck Showalter and then was seen showing or flashing some signs and yelling profanities at the Mets dugout. So it's a bad look for the Mets. You know, everybody's going to say that they choked it away, and I don't think necessarily in the division series outside of getting swept in Atlanta. And then maybe if you look back at some of their bad games in September that, yeah, that maybe they blew it a little, but um, I think you're going to just look back at this Padres series and it's going to be the difference of you Darvish shut down the Mets lineup and as did Joe Musgrove. And unfortunately, the pitcher that Steve Cohen brought in at the beginning of the year to get him wins in the regular season and hopefully some big wins in the playoffs couldn't get it done in Max Scherzer. Um, And he's got it done before for other teams. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for the Mets this year. Um, And, you know, there's a potential for a lot of these Mets. You know, there could be some turnover here. Um, I believe they have eight or nine players uh, that could be leaving, whether it be via club options, opt-outs, or just being a free agent in general. Um, This is the list of players, folks. Brandon Nimmo, who was the starting center fielder for the entire season and had a good year, um, also is being represented by Scott Boris. I think it is definitely worth mentioning who these guys' agents are, if you know who they are. And I know that that's one guy that Boris has because – Obviously, this guy is getting um, top-of-the-line contracts for each one of his guys, no matter what, and Nimmo has good numbers. I think his OPS might be up there close to the eights this year, as well as being one of the top defensive players in center field in the game. So um, I think the Mets, based on their identity, the team, I don't think you're going to do much better than Nimmo as your leadoff man and your center fielder. I think they would be dumb to not try to bring him back Edwin Diaz no question I mean I know that unfortunately tonight it's going to be a meme because Buck Showalter brought in Edwin Diaz 
I think in the eighth inning in a four, four, nothing game. And, you know, obviously his entrance song narco by uh, blaster Jackson, Timmy trumpet has brought a lot of attention to the game of baseball, which was good for a while because, you know, in the dog days of summer, sometimes, you know, not much going on. I, Not to say that people aren't locked into baseball, but, you know, there's other things going on in life. It's the summer. You know, you go out, go out to the city if you're, you know, around here. Maybe you go to the beach. Maybe you're so you're not really paying attention to baseball much. But Edwin Diaz's um, entrance was really a big thing this year. You know, the Mets put up a real good production of it on SNY starting in August. And they got a lot of views. And then. Timmy Trumpet, one of the guys in the song, came to the park for it. So he had not only a great season on the field, you know, he I, I don't need to look at the numbers to know he was the best closer in baseball. Um, but he brought a lot of attention to the game, too. I think that's going to be important when whoever his agent is is looking at what a contract could look like. Once again, I mean, the Mets never are going to get better than that, but have to figure that Diaz is going to take whatever the best contract is he can get. Um, and we'll see where he can get that from Seth Lugo. I mean, he's been a Met for a while and he had a good year, I think this year. Um, but then these are the names I think you really got to look at. Um, Jacob deGrom can opt out. Carlos Carrasco has a club option. Chris Bassett has a mutual option. Um, Taiwan Walker has a player option. And then Trevor May, Adam Ottavino, Trevor Williams, and Michael Givens. So somehow, I mean, that's like eight or nine pitchers and Brandon Nimmo. Um, four of them being starters, DeGrom, Carrasco, Bassett, and Walker. And then the only other pitcher left on the roster, I mean, I know that uh, Drew Peterson got a lot of starts this year, but then the only other starter on the roster would be Max Scherzer. Um, and he would be a free agent after the next season, I believe. So we'll see what Stevie Cohen and the Mets are going to be planning on doing. One thing I know for sure, they shouldn't be turning on the talk radio in New York tomorrow, whether it be on the fan or ESPN, the Michael K show at the, at the afternoon drive, uh, Evan and Roberts, um, excuse me, Evan Roberts and Craig Carton on the fan at, in the afternoon. Uh, I'll personally be going to a golf outing in the morning. And I'm intrigued to hear what Boomer and Geo have to say. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of callers into these shows, very upset and rightfully so. At the end of the day, you know, you could, you could definitely look at how the Mets starters, especially, I mean, DeGrom really did a great job, so you can't say anything about him, but how the other two did, Bassett and Scherzer. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to the, Mets lineup not producing in either of those games. I mean, one run combined is not going to do it. Um, and one hit only in the game uh, tonight against Joe Musgrove and then Josh Hader, um, as well as a uh, young man by the name of Suar- last name of Suarez, who came in and threw 101 for the Padres. Haven't paid enough attention to the Padres this year to know who that was. But, I mean, if the Padres have someone coming in doing that, and then Josh Hader coming in from the left side and doing what he can do with the ball. Um, that could be a good little uh, game plan for the Padres. Yeah, let's just have the starter go out there and throw seven. 
Yeah, here comes this righty in the eighth to go one, two, three with one on one from the right side. And then the best closer, or not the best closer, the second best closer in the game, and Josh Hader with the left side. Um, and good luck trying to beat that if the Padres lineup is going to be putting up six and seven runs a game. Um, to the next series we go, and it's the Philadelphia Phillies and the St. Louis Cardinals. Folks, I got this one wrong as well. I got both NL series wrong and both AL series correct. Um, by the way, this every other game went in two games. The Mets was the only game that played tonight. Um, the Phillies were down 2 nothing after a Juan Yepes home run in the seventh inning of game one before a big ninth against both, um, I believe it was Galante who came in after Helsley, the closer of the Cardinals. Uh, they gave up a combined six runs. Uh, they gave up a seeing-eye single to Segura just past the diving glove of Tommy Edmond, and that's kind of no. That's kind of when you know the baseball gods aren't on your side when a seeing-eye single gets past one of the best defensive middle infielders in the game in Tommy Edmond. So good that for a majority of the season he was actually playing shortstop. Um, so got past Tommy Edmond's diving glove. Um, one of the next plays in the inning uh, easy ground ball to Nolan Arenado that could have ended the inning but it bounces past his glove and they ended up giving up six runs um, in that top of the ninth in game one Cardinals got one run in the bottom of the ninth and got one I mean got the tying run to the plate but they couldn't get it done and then Aaron Nola shut it down in game two and the Phillies are moving on they will face the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday. So two division matchups in the NLDS. Um, you'll have the Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Phillies and the Braves. Um, those teams, I believe the Braves and the Phillies, they will kick off the day on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. And that game, I believe, will be on TBS. And then the Dodgers and the Padres game one, that game will be later on in the evening. So Philly and Atlanta actually is on Fox 107 first pitch Tuesday, October 11th. So that will be tomorrow. Um, the Dodgers... And the Padres at 9.37. That will be on FS1. I'm intrigued to see what the Phillies can do in that series with the Braves. Obviously, the Braves' starting rotation will be lined up to some extent of Max Fried, Spencer Strider, I guess Charlie Morton um, in some, you know, some way in that one, two, three order. Um I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough series. Anytime it's a division series, it can go either way. But I think the Braves are definitely the better team. You know, Kenley Jansen, definitely a great closer. So if you can get it into the eighth and ninth with a lead, have to feel good about shutting it down if you're the Braves. Um, but there also has not been a repeat winner i think since 2002 or three um 
Last World Series winner. To repeat. Was the 2000 New York Yankees. So it hasn't happened in 22 years, folks. So that is the one reason that I kind of picked um, the Cardinals to beat the Braves when I had that bracket. I just don't know if I feel as confident with the Phillies winning, but clearly they have a lot of good mojo on their side. I mean, a big six-run ninth in a game one of a wild card where you're down 2 nothing. It's not even like it's a tie game and you score six. That's huge. Uh, I can really go a long way in feeling like, all right, we can win any game. If we could do that, there's no situation we can't come back from. Um, and speaking of that and moving on to the AL side of things, Another team that's got to be feeling like that, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, they sweep the Blue Jays. And another thing, folks, that I think I want to mention is the two teams that kind of, and I hate to say it about the Mets because I was definitely rooting for them and hoping that at least, you know, if you get, once you, if you win the wild card, if you're the Mets tonight, you're probably going into this series with the Dodgers. I mean, yeah, you lose in the NLDS, but if it's to the Dodgers who have won 111 games this year and are built like that to try to win a World Series, I don't know how you could be upset, especially after, you know, in the last couple of years, the Mets haven't made the playoffs since 2015 when they made the World Series against the Royals. Like, they have been irrelevant for a long time, and they've had good players on their team, especially since Steve Cohen has taken over and he's trying to get them onto the winning track and to do it in two years is pretty impressive folks, but they're still not going to look and be like, well, it was a disappointment to lose to the 111 win Dodgers because it wouldn't have been. So all the Mets had to do was win tonight. And then whatever happens in the series with the Dodgers happens and you can't really be upset. Um, but you can be upset for not getting out of the wild card after a 101 game season but there were a lot of Mets fans that were tooting their own horn after you know a two-game sweep at in City Field in the middle of June of the Yankees and then you know in in September when they only had a three-game lead over the Braves you know saying oh look how great it's going to be when Edwin Diaz trumpets get played in City Field well guess what game one he couldn't even come out because you got blown out game two he came in in the seventh inning and it was probably pretty special he came up in in a one-run game all great stuff and then in game three I mean now they're gonna get trolled for the next six months because they brought the man in and in the eighth inning of a four-run a four-run game for the other team and Mr. Met is on the freaking dugout playing the trumpet I mean that is bad stuff. <laughs> that's just bad stuff folks and this is why the Mets get made fun of because the one time that they're good, the fans are looking forward, looking forward, and then you lose to the Padres, who, listen, they're a good team, but at the end of the day, they did win about 10 games less than you during the regular season. Um, so back to the Mariners. Anytime that you go out at the trade deadline and get the best pitcher available, um, it's pretty awesome when he, he starts game one for you of a series. And he absolutely shuts down the other team's lineup. Uh, the Blue Jays get shut out in game one. 
and the Mariners take game one by a score of four to nothing. And then in game two, Teoscar Hernandez hits two home runs off of Robbie Ray, and they have a big fifth inning as well after a Teoscar home run. Um, but in the sixth inning, they give up three runs. Um, a couple of big. There was a wild pitch in there as well. Uh, a three run top of the sixth. Then in the eighth inning was where it kind of got unraveled a bit. Bases loaded. Uh, I believe the score is now nine, six. JP Grawford drops a bloop double between Bo Bichette and George Springer. Unfortunately, Springer had to be taken off of the field uh, on the cart. And I think once that happens, like you're in a tie game, your center fielder just got hit out of the game. And somehow this guy just dropped like a 70 mile an hour bloop between our great defensive center fielder and Bo Bichette, our shortstop. Not great. Uh, They give up the lead in the ninth because Jordan Romano is not a good closer. Um, If you remember correctly, back on a Tuesday night in May in the Bronx, he gave up a, I believe it was the first walk-off home run um, in Aaron Judge's career. So always like when that guy is blowing games and he blew the last game of the Blue Jays season. Um, And now the Mariners will go on And they will face the Houston Astros. Justin Verlander will start game one. I'm guessing that Logan Gilbert will start game one for Seattle. Uh, Then they'll try to start Luis Castillo in game two um, on one day extra rest because there is a day off for the AL teams in between game one and game two. I'm not sure why they did that, but that is what they elected to do. Um, and so that's why it, it, for whatever reason, it's like that. They have the NLDS on Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, then they will play once again. Um, I believe every team plays Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I don't know why it's like that folks, but that's the way it is. They wanted to stagger game two for each of these teams. And that's the way it's going to go. Uh, The last series we got to talk about are the Guardians and the Rays. The Guardians sweep um, by scores of 2-1 to and 1-0. The 1-0 game in Game 2, a walk-off home run in the 15th inning by Oscar Gonzalez. Um, In Game 1, it was a Shane Bieber versus Shane McClanahan duel. Um, Both pitchers go seven innings. I believe, actually, Bieber went seven in the two-thirds, and then Emmanuel Classe finished it off for a four-out save, and actually probably was a four-out win because he came out came in in the top of the eighth and in the bottom of the eighth in a one-nothing game in favor of the Rays. Jose Ramirez hit a two-run homer, and that was the decisive blow in game one. Um, so now the Guardians will come to New York, like I em- mentioned earlier in the episode. Um, Game one will be Tuesday at 7.30 in the Bronx. That game will be 
on TBS. And before it, about four hours before, at 3.30, that will be Houston and Seattle. Um, I believe you will see Garrett Cole and Cal Quantrill in game one on Tuesday. Um, Garrett Cole has some good stats against the Guardians this year, as does Nestor Cortez. So that's making me feel pretty good about this series. Um, the Yankees have been publicizing that. It sounds like Matt Carpenter will join them in the ALDS on the roster. I think that's pretty good, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but I do think that the presence of Matt Carpenter does not really help Oswald Peraza's chances to be on the roster, and I, I will kind of tell you why I think that in a second. Um, so game one, I have Cole versus Cal Quantrill. Game two on Thursday, I've got Nestor Cortez versus Shane Bieber. Bieber started on Friday, so starting on Thursday, he would be on um, one day extra rest, so he'll be fine to pitch on Thursday in game two in the Bronx. Have to figure that the Guardians want to try to steal one in New York before they go back for the weekend in Cleveland. Um, Tristan McKenzie and Luis Severino in game three, I believe, and then Based on the fact that game one is on Tuesday and game four is on Sunday, you could go back to Quantrill and Cole before Monday. It would just be all hands on deck. Um, Bieber and Cortez would be on one day short rest. Probably both of them. Well, at least one of them out of the pen. I think that the Guardians, if it was a game five, would start Bieber. I think game five... Yankees probably would start whichever one of Talion and Herman haven't pitched really much in the series and then bring Cortez and maybe in out of the pen. Not really sure. Um, but we'll see what kind of happens there. This is how I kind of think the roster is going to shake out. So Cole, Nestor, and Severino obviously are the three starters I mentioned there. Talion and Herman as well as your fourth starter slash first guy in long relief if someone gets into trouble. Obviously, we have seen two of those pitchers before in their career for the Yankees in the playoffs get into trouble, Cole and Severino. Nestor probably making his debut. I, I don't remember uh, last year, to be honest, if he – well, he didn't pitch in the wild card game, so then he didn't pitch at all. Um, and then this is how the other eight bullpen spots, I think, are going to um, factor in. Miguel Castro, Scott Efros, Lucas Litke, Johnny Loizaga, Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta, Clark Schmidt, and Lou Trevina. Um, so, Scott, a lot of these guys have been in and out um, on the IL during the season and then came back in September. Obviously, the Yankees did have a pretty easy schedule, so we'll see how these guys are going to do in October in playoff baseball against the Guardians, you know, have to feel good. The Guardians, while their pitching staff did shut down the Rays, the Rays didn't really have a great lineup. Um, you know, those pitchers, all three of them that I mentioned that are going to start games here for the um, Guardians, they are good pitchers. And like I said, in game two of that 15-inning win, the bullpen went nine innings and gave up four hits only. And struck out seven, I believe. So um, a great performance for them to shut down 
um, the Tampa Bay Rays for that long before someone could get on the board for their team. But I think that our lineup can do better. And I just also think our pitching staff can do very similar things. I mean, if this lineup doesn't have a Jose Ramirez, big blow or RBI, I believe he came in second in the American League to Aaron Judge and RBI this season, um, then I feel confident that we could shut the other eight guys down. Um, here is the 13 position players and the reason why I think Matt Carpenter does not fare well for Oswald Peraza's chances to be on the roster. Um, Rizzo at first base, obviously starting. Um, Glaber at second, IKF at short, Donaldson at third. Oswaldo Cabrera is the starting left fielder. Bader in center, and obviously Aaron Judge in right. Uh, we'll see what they do with Higgy and Trevino, obviously, or Trevino, excuse me, Trevino in the bullpen. Trevino behind the plate. Um, I think that they'll just kind of mix and match both depending on, especially if there's a lefty in there for Higgy. Um, three righty starters I did mention there for the Guardians. Um, so we'll see. Definitely, if they were make it to the ALCS, you could see him, you know, getting that from Valdez start. Um, but we'll see, especially with Higgy having that hot streak there in the end of the end of September. I think he earned himself at least one start. We'll see how that goes. Um, DH is Stanton. I think they showed you in his stint back with the team after coming back that he is not going to play the field the rest of the year. Um, and then your bench is going to be in addition to the whichever catcher is not playing. DJ LeMahieu, who I think maybe they play at third one game. I don't know. I, I think based on what Donaldson did at the end of the year and the fact that he was the number one defensive third baseman in outs above average, I, um, I think that was enough for them to put him in the starting lineup over LeMahieu, especially with LeMahieu only coming back for one series um, before the playoffs. I don't think it was going to be enough for him to earn starting spot, but definitely a great bat to have off the bench. Uh, Matt Carpenter as well, coming back from the 60-day DL since breaking a his right foot. Um, I think another fact is I just mentioned two players being on the bench that aren't going to be able to play the field at all. Um, and so, therefore, I don't think that you can put Peraza on this roster because Marwin Gonzalez can play every position in the field. And while I'd rather see Peraza on the lineup, I think that's just kind of the way they're going to look at it. Um, Marwin Gonzalez had 184 at-bats and hit 185 this year. Peraza had 50 at-bats and hit 300. I think it's worth noting that down the stretch, Marwin Gonzalez basically started for the last week or two of the season. Um, so we'll kind of see what goes on there. Um, I'm excited. 7.30 p.m. Tuesday night. I know that the Yankees are going to put out a 
great little promo video in the morning, and I'll probably be fired up with that. Um, it's a day off from school, uh, so I'll have all day to just kind of be thinking about the game and preparing kind of like I'm playing. I hope there's a scenario where these tickets drop at like 6.15 and I end up just flying there and going and somehow getting in. Um, but I doubt it. I, I think it's just going to be a sellout. I think it's going to be hard to get in if you're trying to do what I'm doing. I don't think it's going to work out. Um, Thursday, another great day. Um, I like. I hope that we end up going to Cleveland with a 2 nothing lead, folks. But we'll see how it all folds out. Um, good thing for the NFL fans, and we're about to get into NFL in one second, that there is an awful Thursday night game this week. So all of you NFL fans can tune in to the Yankees and all of the other teams that will play on Thursday. Um, I believe it will just be the Astros and the Mariners game two because game two for the NLDS will be Wednesday. Um, you guys will not have to tune in to Bears and Commanders on Thursday night. Uh, what a treat that will be. <laughs> So over to the NFL we go. We're done with baseball. Uh, sorry to the Mets fans. Let's go Yankees. Um, and let's see if the Padres can do something special and try to upset those Dodgers out in the National League. Um, they're built to do it. They didn't win as many games, obviously, or not nearly even close as the Dodgers, but they have what it takes to, to try to knock off this team. We'll see how if that pitching staff can keep producing zeros. Um, and if they can, watch out. So this morning, Sunday morning, which I'm talking you to you in the wee hours of Monday morning, but Sunday morning started with the New York football giants out in London taking on the Green Bay Packers and the bloody giants. Oh, my goodness. What a game. They beat the Green Bay Packers 27-22. to And boy, folks, Daniel Jones looks like the guy. I'm sorry. I mean, I, it's crazy because you can look back at the Giants' five games right now and you could tell me that the Giants were not the better team on the field in at least three of those games. They were not better. Um, than the Packers today in terms of talent. They were not better than the Cowboys in terms of talent. I know that the backup QB started, but it doesn't matter. And they're not better than the Titans either. The Giants have one NFL wide receiver. It's Darius Slayton. And he's a wide receiver too on every other team in the NFL. He might be a wide receiver three on half of the teams in the NFL. And not to say that he's not a good player, but like I said, there's one NFL receiver on this football team. The line is playing great. Daniel Jones is playing great. And the Giants' defense is bend, don't break, and that's all you need in the NFL. Wink Martindale is sending pressure. It's enough to make the defense look good. They hold Aaron Rodgers to zero points in the second half, and on the last drive of the game, two Batted balls against Aaron Rodgers. I feel like it's so seldomly seen against a guy who can frequently change his arm angle. You've always seen Aaron Rodgers pump fake the ball and never get it blocked at the line. 
It happened two consecutive plays. Um, another big moment, I thought, was Saquon Barkley in the drive that started in the third quarter and ended in the fourth quarter. It was like the 15-play, 95-ish yard, 91 yards, whatever it was, or so, drive. First drive or first play of the game, excuse me, first play of the drive. Saquon Barkley goes to the blue tent with a shoulder injury. And Daniel Jones is leading Darius Slayton. And uh, what was the guy's name? Gainwell something. Whoever the guy was, he ended up scoring his first NFL touchdown at the end of the drive at running back. And Matt Breida. I mean, what a performance from Daniel Jones, folks. You got to give the guy credit. He goes out there. He was questionable all week with his ankle. He goes out there. I think he had 38 rushing yards. Um, he did it with his arm as well. The Giants scored on their last two drives with the ball, and it ended up going from 20 to 13 in the third quarter to, and I believe it was actually 20 to 10 at a point. And even in the beginning of the game, I think it was 20 to 3. Um, so the Giants came all the way back and ended up winning 27-22 as the Giants punter ran out of the end zone on the punt attempt instead of kicking it back to him and giving it to the best Hail Mary thrower of all time. And Aaron Rodgers from the 50, they took the uh, safety punt and ended the game way back at the 30 on a lateral play. Um, so the Giants are 4-1. and one. They'll host... The Baltimore Ravens next week here at MetLife. Wow, folks. What a game it could be at MetLife Stadium. I think the Giants have a chance. I mean, the Ravens, like I said, they're going to be the better team on the field in New Jersey on Sunday. Um, but the Giants have heart. The Giants have the go- have the coach. I think if this team doesn't show you how much the coaches matter in the NFL, I'm not sure what will um, because it's very clear the Giants don't have a top two-thirds of the league roster in terms of talent, and they're four and one. Um, So shout out to them. They're playing great football. They have a chance to try to steal a win against a Baltimore team that has blown some leads. They almost did it again tonight, Um, but Justin Tucker – made a game-expiring field goal to win 19-17 over the Bengals. Um, And speaking of the Packers' opponents, the Jets, who they will play next week, had a great game here at MetLife against the Miami Dolphins. They won by a score of 40-17. I was at work, folks, so I didn't get to see the game once again. Um, Bob Wischusen, another great call of it on 98.7 ESPN Radio in New York. Um, wow. The first play of the game, Teddy Bridgewater goes down uh, with a concussion and elbow injury. Sauce Gardner forces the intentional grounding and a safety because it happened in the end zone. So on the first offensive play for Miami, they lose their second-string quarterback, who was the starter. They had to bring in Skylar Thompson, who I believe was a Kansas State quarterback um, in a seventh-round draft pick this year. 
And so he's got to go in there. Um, he did a good job, I feel like. You know, put up 17 points in an NFL game after being the third string guy not even 10 days ago um, when two attack of low went down with a concussion and back injury. I don't think they really announced what happened to Tua yet, but um, he did a decent job. I feel like the playmakers for the Dolphins also did a good job. Raheem Mostert still ended up with 115 rushing yards. Tyreek Hill did his job and got, I believe he had 10 catches, although it was only for about 70 yards. Um, And so they did their job. But in the fourth quarter, the Jets pulled away from the Dolphins. Um, They had a long drive that started at the end of the third quarter. And Tyree Kelly has seven catches for 47 yards. Jeez. So the Jets did have him bottled up today, which was good. Obviously, like I said, doesn't help that it was Skylar Thompson as the QB, but he did hold his own. Only had one pick where JFM kind of swatted it and Sauce Gardner ended up underneath it for his first interception of his career. He's turning out to be a star early on, folks. And it's great to see the Jets hitting on draft picks everywhere. Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, excuse me, started at his fourth position in the NFL in his second year. He has played left tackle, left guard, right guard, and now right tackle. Dwayne Brown came off the IR and played left tackle and looked really good. Um, so I'm excited about what the Jets can do going into Lambeau. Um, I feel like coming back. Playing a team that's coming back from London um, could be helpful. Like, who knows? I don't. I don't know what it's like to go overseas at all, let alone play a game where then I have to get on like a seven-hour flight and be jet lagged. And who knows? Maybe the Jets have a slight advantage there. I think they have another slight advantage in the fact of that they're just playing a lot better football and they're playing free and easy. Like, it doesn't look like they're the best, most well-rounded team ever. Like, you can still see that there's some problems. I mean, listen, the Jets gave up 18 carries for 113 yards to Raheem Mostert today. That's not great. It's really not great, to be honest with you. Um, the Jets, on in the passing offense, if you take out Brees Hall's one catch for 79 yards, Zach Wilson is 13 for 20 um, for about 131 yards. It's not that great. It was good. It was okay. Like they played a good game and they won. But let's not act like this team, you know, is the best team we've ever seen. They're doing great and it is a big step up. Um, But I just want to be going level headed into Lambeau, not thinking, oh, here we come. The Packers look bad because they lost to the Giants. No, I think the Giants are a better team. I think the Giants are going to be able to win games against teams that are going to play down to their competition and think lowly of them. And I think maybe that's what happened with Green Bay. Maybe they just got a, kind of got complacent on offense. I mean, like I said, they did have the big stop on the goal line in the fourth quarter. Um So I'm intrigued to see what the Jets can do going into Lambeau. 
Um, Packers coming back from London off of a loss to the Giants. Jets coming off of a big win against Miami. This kid, Brees Hall, one more point about the, the Jets. This kid, Brees Hall, I think he could win the rookie of the year in the um, AFC. I mean, he looks really good. He had a 200-yard game today, two catches for 100 yards. He got tackled at the one both times, 18 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown. Um, And he looks like he's hard to tackle when he's got the ball. He can run well, um, and he's going to break the first tackle every time. And it is great to see young playmakers who are good on the New York Jets in addition to the quarterback. Um, Like I said, Maybe we could do a little better in the passing offense um, going forward outside of, and, you know, maybe it's not fair that I take away a 79-yard pass. I'm just saying that we could do better, and we have done better. Zach Wilson did better last week against the Steelers. I know the Steelers are a worse defense than the Dolphins, and we'll see how the Packers are going to prepare to try to stop the Jets this week after 40. Um, I know there was one strip sack of Skylar Thompson in there as well, where Quinn and Williams ended up on the five. So maybe a little bit of a stat pad in terms of the points on the board. Um, but nonetheless, can't tell you the last time I remember the Jets putting 40 on the board. Um, and they are three and two. And if you would have told me that there were seven New York football wins in five weeks of football, I think a lot of people around here would have laughed in your face. I mean, I'll be honest with you folks. I had a, I had the Giants at about, I don't know, four and thirteen, and they're four and one. Uh, and I, I mean, it would be pretty bad if they ended up on a twelve-game losing streak to end the season. I don't think it's going to happen. So I was dead wrong about them. And I had the Jets at nine and eight. I think that's because I'm a fan. I think, I mean, seven and 10 is probably a fair, was going to be a fair assessment of what they could do this year. And I mean, here they are, folks. They're going into Lambeau. They're three and two. And um, I mean, this stretch of games, it's not crazy to say in the next three games, Packers, Broncos, Patriots, that you don't have a decent chance to go two and one. I mean, the Broncos haven't looked good. The Packers haven't looked as good as they usually do. And it's fair to say that they could come out and get right against the Jets. It's very fair to say. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are two of the best running backs in the league, and they're on one team. They don't have a great wide receiver core anymore and mostly is that's the because Devontae Adams is now on the Raiders um but who knows both of those teams don't look good I mean now the Packers look okay but not as good as they usually do Broncos don't look good at all and the Patriots well they're on their third string quarterback and you have to feel good about beating a third string quarterback like you did just today so An exciting stretch here for the Jets before they have to play Buffalo at home on November 6th. Um, I'm pretty excited, folks. I'm excited that the Jets also will have 
a four o'clock game on Sunday. So or next Sunday, excuse me. So more people are going to get to see that one. Um, as well as on December 22nd, they'll play on the Thursday night game against the Jaguars. So just exciting to get to have the nation see this team when there's something to be watching. Usually when we get these games, we end up being made fun of because we're trash. Now it looks like we have some players on our team um, and a lot of them young players. So it's exciting. And we will move on to the last segment of the show, which is the college football picks and the NFL picks that will be picked live. Um, So I'm giving out five picks in college football, folks. We're three and three through two weeks. I'm going to give out one Thursday game, and then I'm going to give out four Saturday games. Um, I will say that the confidence in my pick for the Thursday night game would be between two and three. So here we go. West Virginia is playing Baylor, and West Virginia is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Um, I don't know, excuse me, a a three-and-a-half-point dog at home against Baylor. Um, Baylor is three-and-two this year, and I believe West Virginia is also three-and-two. So two Big 12 teams duking it out, trying to make their way towards a bowl season. I think both teams will probably get into the bowl season and take whichever one of the two bids that the lower big 12 teams will take that will get, you know, go between seven and five and six and six. Um, But I think being at home in college football is pretty uh, underrated. I think it's pretty hard to win on the road. Um, Especially when you're in conference, it's a Thursday night, so it's a short week to get ready for a game. Um, To go in there, Thursday night lights, JT Daniels looking good. Um, I think it's going to be tough for the Baylor kids to go in there and win a ball game against the Mountaineers. Mountaineers are actually two and three this year. Um, Baylor is coming off of a bye week after a loss to Oklahoma State. Um, And West Virginia is coming off of a bye week after after a loss to Texas. So both teams need to get right. And I think that if Baylor is able to win based on their offense not being very explosive, um, that they'll only be able to win by one field goal on the road at West Virginia. And I have them at plus three and a half. Tennessee plus seven versus Bama. That game is at 12 o'clock on Saturday. Bama just nearly escapes with the backup quarterback when they host Texas A&M. After Texas A&M, Texas A&M's coach Jimbo Fisher had a lot of comments about Nick Saban and the NIL stuff in the media over the recruiting season this year. Um, It it was pretty scary. I think Texas A&M had the ball on the last play of the game at the three-yard line, and they were not able to convert. Um, My guess is that Bryce Young will be back this week if the line is plus seven Tennessee at home versus Bama. 
I just don't see how it's that bad. And if that's the line they're giving to me, I want it. I feel like Milan Stadium will be crazy. Um, I think the way that Hendon Hooker has looked and the running game for Tennessee has looked through these games so far this year, especially with a blowout win at LSU this week, which was the number one confidence pick last week. Um, I think that they're going to be able to win this game, folks. I think plus seven is a rat line. I don't know why it's like that. I really don't. I, I just, even if Bama does win, I one touchdown. I mean, they just almost lost to Texas A&M. Texas A&M wasn't good. They lost. They lost to a, a an FCS team, I think. I mean, Texas A&M, they, they, they haven't looked good. They lo- almost lost to Miami. Miami lost to North Carolina. This is not good, folks. I mean, this is a fall from grace for Alabama. If that happened while Tua Tagovailoa and Devonta Smith and Henry Ruggs and all those guys, Jerry Judy, were at Alabama, as well as the defensive players like Xavier McKinney uh, and Quentin Williams and all these NFL guys, I mean, they would have won by 50 points. I think Alabama might be a step down from what they were last year, and I think that this line is based off of what the programs have done in the past and not what's going on on the field right now. Um, And I think the fact that Tennessee is home plus the points, you got to take that every time. Um, Another 12 o'clock game between two conference rivals, Michigan and Penn State. Michigan, the home team, and the favorite by seven points, and I want them. I think they are going to blow out Penn State. I don't think the quarterback of Penn State, Sean Clifford, is very good at all. Um, And Michigan has handled every team this year but Maryland, and I think they just kind of had a bad game against Maryland. Um, Penn State, on the other hand, coming off of a bye week this week, but they just looked pretty bad against Northwestern to only beat them 17-7. to Um, And I think Michigan... And Blake Corum, the running back, they're just going to run it all over Penn State. I don't think Penn State's going to be able to move the ball. Maybe this game ends up being about 28-3 to or 28-7 Michigan. Kansas plus seven is the third confidence pick. Um, They play at Oklahoma. I guess there's a potential that... um, Jalen Daniels is going to be out again after he was hurt in the first half of the game in the loss against TCU. But the backup, Jason Bean, looked really good. I think he threw for 260 yards and four touchdowns and was also running around pretty well as well. On the other hand, Oklahoma, they put up a stinker against Texas in the Red River showdown. Um, Zero points, 49 to nothing in a Big 12 game. I don't know how you put up zero in a Big 12 game. It's pretty embarrassing to see it. Kansas, who is now five and one, and Oklahoma, who I think is two and three. Maybe they're two and four. So they're having a fall from grace once again. I think it is a Oklahoma line based off of what they've done in the past, and that they don't think that they could really be that bad. But I think they're really that bad. I mean, they're 10th in the Big 12. They lost by 31 to TCU at TCU. TCU then went to Kansas this next, the next week, and they won by one touchdown against the backup quarterback. 
So I don't see what math Vegas did there, but I think Oklahoma's done. The last couple of weeks, they lost to Kansas State. The next week they came out, they lost to TCU. The next week they came out, and they lost to Oklahoma. I just don't think they're a good football team, folks. And I think Kansas is. And I think plus seven. I think at the very least, if Oklahoma is able to find it this week and win, I don't think they're going to be able to beat them by more than one touchdown. I think Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels, whichever quarterback plays, is good enough to put up a lot of points on this team from Oklahoma. And the last pick, I like the Big 12 this year, folks. Uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State was another good game. Um, But I want to take TCU minus three and a half as Oklahoma State travels to TCU this week. I think that game is at 3.30 as well as the Oklahoma game. I think the TCU talent, I think it's all there for them to represent the Big 12 this year. Uh, I think if you're the Big 12, you have to hope that your conference champion goes 12-0 and because they're going to put whichever SEC team goes undefeated, which looks like it could be Georgia. They're going to be in the one seed. The two seed will be the winner of Michigan and Ohio State because I think Michigan looking at their schedule and looking at Ohio State's schedule, if they can stay not tripped up by these teams in the Big Ten this year, you look to two days after Thanksgiving to see two 11-0 teams headed into Columbus for the last game of the regular season. Um, So I think the winner of that gets in. I think Clemson's going to go undefeated because I think that the ACC might not be as good as they are this year. And then the Big 12 is going to have to get in as an undefeated team because they'll put in a one-loss SEC team every time, um, especially if it's Alabama. So TCU, they're going to have to – They, I think they know it. I think they know it already. I think Max Duggan is a great leader. Um, TCU against Oklahoma State. I think they've got the quarterback matchup. I think they're the home team. Um, and I think they've got the talent to try to put the Big 12 back on the map this year. And so I'm going to take them minus three and a half at home versus Oklahoma State. Um, so we went three and three in the college records. So five picks there. We are two, six, and one in the NFL. And it is time to pick those before I send you folks on your merry way. Um, so we're going to do one, two, three confidence. And then we will either do the Monday night prime time for next week or the Sunday night prime time for next week. All of these odds via the folks at FanDuel Sportsbook. More ways to win. FanDuel Sportsbook, please bet responsibly and call 1-800-GAMBLER if you have a gambling problem. Um, Here we go, folks. All right, the Jaguars play the Colts at 1 o'clock. 
I think the Jaguars are going to win after a bad week. Um, they lost this week to the Texans. I think the Colts beat a bad Broncos team um, in Denver. I think the Jaguars are looking to get right this week. I think they've had a bad stretch of games the Colts have against the Jaguars. Um, and this is usually it has been at Jacksonville where the Colts get beat up pretty bad by Jacksonville. But I think that they're going to be able to sweep them um, to, with two early division games this year. They've already played once in Jacksonville earlier on in the year. Um, and it was a shutout, 24 nothing. And I think, especially if the Colts are going to have Jonathan Taylor out again, uh, the Jaguars are the pick here. Number one confidence at one o'clock. All right. Cleveland Browns minus three against New England. Um, not sure if Bailey Zappi is going to get the start again or whether Mac Jones will be back, but either way, I don't care. Damian Harris is also out. And listen, the Patriots defense looked good, but it was against the Lions this week. Now they go on the road against Cleveland. Uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, a two-headed monster back there for Cleveland. Jacoby Brissett doesn't make mistakes. And I think that the Browns, after a tough loss this week against the Chargers by a score of 30 to 28, bounce back and get a win by a touchdown over the New England Patriots. That game also at one o'clock and confidence pick number two. Scrolling down this list. All right. The big game of the week is going to be the Tony Romo and Jim Nance game. Bills and Chiefs in Kansas City. I'm going to take Kansas City on the money line, plus 104. It's a one-point spread either way, but the Bills are favored. Um, the Bills have been pretty hurt this entire season so far, and they just did beat up pretty good on the Steelers, but the Steelers are the worst team in the NFL, I think. Um, obviously, that kind of changes when T.J. Watt is there, but I guess that moves them from like last team in the league to 30th. Um, I think Patrick Mahomes has Josh Allen's number right now. I know that it was a crazy game in the playoffs last year, um, but between the Bills have been, have been injured um, and that the Chiefs have looked really good, I know that they have are going to play later on tonight. So there's going to be, you know, maybe you'll look at them a little bit different and might pick a little bit different, um, especially if they lose to the Raiders. Maybe that line moves around a little bit. Um, but I'm going to take the Chiefs there. I think to go into Arrowhead and try to win at any point is tough. I mean, you saw last year they had 13 seconds and Patrick Mahomes still tied up the game. And then ended up winning in overtime. Um, I just think, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough matchup either way. I just would rather go with the home team. And in my opinion, the better quarterback, although Josh Allen is a close second in the NFL right now. It has been a great matchup with these two the last 
few years and it'll be that way probably for the next couple. Hopefully the, the Jets Zach Wilson can fit his name in there at some point. Um, but right now it is those two guys in the AFC. Um, once again, we get the Denver Broncos in prime time next week. The Broncos and the Chargers will play Monday night, but the Cowboys and the Eagles is the game that I'm tuned into, folks, on Sunday night. Cowboys 4-1, and one, Eagles 5-0. and oh. I'm going to take the Cowboys plus 5.5. I think that defense is fantastic. Um, Eagles just came off of a close game with the Cardinals in Arizona. I honestly was not expecting that. Um, but they kind of bottled up the run, did Arizona. And I think the Cowboys can do the same thing on the other side of the ball. I really like the way that this um, Cowboys offense has operated under Cooper Rush because I think that they're being super conservative and careful, and it's actually working out for them um, because they have Cooper Rush under center a lot, running a lot of play action. Tony Pollard's getting the ball, and he can really run the rock, folks. And Zeke really doesn't look too bad. I know that there's like trolls of him on Instagram and Twitter and all these social medias, but he honestly looks pretty good. He doesn't look as good as Saquon Barkley, but he does look good. Um, and I think the Cowboys will be able to keep this underneath a field goal. I think you just saw a pretty good Sunday night um, division game that ended in a two-point win for the Ravens. And I think you can expect... Pretty similar stuff if there's going to be divisional matchups on uh, prime time. Low scoring and close games. That's exactly what the NFL wants, and I'm sure that's what the NFL will get week after week. Um, so that will conclude Go Be Great episode 14. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I'd say there's potential that you hear from me in the middle of the week, depending on what happens with the Yankees. Um, maybe a Friday podcast before the football on sun Saturday and Sunday. And then, uh, just to talk about baseball really, and then come back with the normal one either on Monday or Tuesday morning. Um, so let's go, uh, Yankees, let's go jets. And honestly, let's go giants at this point. They're a fun team to root for as a non-fan. Um, Daniel Jones clearly getting better. Um, Brian Dable showing to be the best hire in the NFL this hiring season so far. Um, and the Giants fans, like I said at the beginning of the episode, have the amount of wins that I thought they'd have the entire season through five weeks. Um, so we'll root for all three of those teams going forward. Hopefully the Yankees season is longer than the next week in the ALDS and they can move on into the series with the winner of the Astros and the Mariners. Um, and with that folks, I say farewell and I will talk to you guys at some point next week. Thank you guys for tuning in.